Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Look, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. No, when it you're comes never to keeping things short. Go on. I'm five You're five. Not <laughs> when it comes to opera, we're the only ones bringing you everything you need to know about the art form, the people, and the stories every damn week. And you always pronounce them so well. Check it out. <laughs> five bucks buys an ad on social media. Ten bucks covers our website for a month, and twenty bucks makes a hundred lapel pins. So there are like maybe a hundred people in this world that have a lapel pin. So we want to double that number. Seriously, right. 20 bucks. That's less than what Oliver spends each week on light-bodied red wines, whatever they are. <laughs> like Gamay, you know, like a Cru Beaujolais, you know. Don't think it can give? Yes, you can. Simply review us on Apple Podcasts, share our Facebook posts, or retweet us. Most of all, keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Oh. Okay, that was too many calls to action. So the main call to action is give us money, because that's obviously how you can help us. The other thing you can do is review us on iTunes, is that what you said? So if you don't feel like giving us money and you don't feel like spending precious time typing, what you can do is just click that share button when you see our post on Facebook, and you could like our page, actually. If you like our page, that helps us get to more people because Facebook is evil, and it basically helps us see your friends. Most of all, <laughs> keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Enjoy the podcast. And retweet, because Toby loves that. <laughs> Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. Live in the Lakeside studio on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago, I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this evening by Oliver Camacho and Weston Williams. All right, tonight we go inside the huddle with American mezzo-soprano Annie Rosen, who just finished a run of Philip Glass' Akhenaten at the Metropolitan Opera. We talk to her about performing in HD and why this show is returning to the Met so very soon. And then in Chalk Talk, South Korean conductor... Unsung Kim was just appointed music director at San Francisco Opera. We'll take a closer look at how she got to SF and what her hire means for the company and for the art form. Plus, in the two-minute drill, Porgy and Bess is extended at the Met. Italian tenor Vittorio Grigorlo is fired at the Met. And, of course, you can call us on the air. Get your voice heard, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories that we're talking about. 847-866-9687. You can tweet us at Opera Box Score. You can post on our Facebook page. And that's how you can say hello to people like Oliver Camacho. I know a sports thing. Oh, um, So there's a basketball team here in Chicago, the uh, DePaul Blue Devils. I think that's what they're called. That sounds made up. And I, <laughs> and I think they have a perfect season so far. Ooh. I think that's what I heard. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but isn't that exciting? <laughs> I haven't been able to wrap my head around college basketball season quite yet. Okay. I'm still in college football season. Regular season is over. Bowls are coming up. Weston Williams, my Michigan Wolverines, and your Alabama Tide are going to meet on New Year's Day in a bowl game. It's going to be an exciting match, but I have to say, you know, I wasn't here last week, and that's because I was in mourning after the results of the Iron Bowl. And I think that uh, everyone who uh, 
knows about Roll Tide and how to say it properly with feeling, with soul, was with me that day. So I, I was with you. I was feeling you, your thoughts and prayers. And uh, we're going to go on to Crush Michigan on New Year's Day. So it's all going to be fine. Looking forward to a lot of smack talk to be had on that. <laughs> nice Let's talk pushing. some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Princess Soprano Annie Rosen was on our show way back in 2016. Since then, she's finished her time at Lyric Opera of Chicago's Ryan Opera Center and recently completed a run of Philip Glass' Akhenaten at the Met. She joins us live via phone from New York. I'm assuming New York City. Annie, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, George, are you afraid of saying Philip Glass's? Glasses. There's something about like, like the putting apostrophe the apostrophe. There's three that's... s's. I just that drives yeah. my OCD nature up the wall. Really, I don't know, but I don't feel like I understand Philip Glass. Like, it could be like if his, his name was actually Philip Glass. Glass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do think it's a little ironic that uh, uh, Glass, being so known for his repetitions, you can't yeah. say sizzes at the after it. But uh, I think there's a certain lack of fear that has to go into performing something like that. Annie Rosen, when you met Philip Glass, were you okay with all the s's in his name? <laughs> I was. Um, I think if I think of it as if, you know, I wear glasses, then it becomes something more um, digestible. <laughs> <laughs> Grammar with Annie Rosen. I love so, it. So since we, <laughs> since we last spoke to you, which I think was in 2016, you have made your professional debuts with the Utah Opera, with Chicago Opera Theater, with Central City, and with a little place called... The Met. <laughs> so I'm glad we caught you when you were still a little, you know, yingling, you know. How is it? Absolutely. What, what was it like to do all those? I mean, we have to talk about the Met, but let's let's put that aside for a moment. Uh, would you like to highlight something that has happened in your career since uh, since you left the Ryan Opera Center here at Lyric Opera Chicago? You know, I feel like it's really been pretty nonstop, which is wonderful above all and exhausting and exhilarating um everything you said were the things that i was planning to talk about um i loved my time at cot at chicago opera theater i was in a modern piece called the scarlet ibis yes um, we had jordan I, jordan rudder on the show so we've, we've yes, now covered did. that whole cast basically <laughs> <laughs> it's a good cast it's good people yeah. Um, yeah, so that was wonderful, and the with Utah Opera, I did my first Adalgisa after having understudied it at Lyric, and that was also really incredible. So um, that's to me that that's remarkable. I mean, your Bach or your your voice sort of defies categorization. Um, I mean, I've heard you sing Carmen, I've heard you sing, you know, Poulenc, I've heard you sing. Uh, some crazy, st- like Nico Muley uh, concerted art songs. Um, <laughs> you do, and yesterday you sang Berio. So um, oh, goodness. I don't see how Bellini fits into all of that. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I, I love Bel Canto, so I don't want to, like, 
give the haters any ammunition. But um, you're typ- you're not the type of singer, meaning to say you're an intellectual, that usually is attracted to bel canto. How do, what was singing Edelgisa like for you? And was there anything you learned about yourself or about the character or about the opera that was just like a real surprise after actually working on that role? You know, I do think it's more common for singers who do contemporary music to be sort of either like just contemporary or the sort of equally at home in Baroque and contemporary repertoire, um, which is a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but I also, I basically, I would rather just not restrict myself at all, if it's possible. I kind of want to have the freedom, both intellectually and vocally, to explore whatever interests me, whenever it interests me. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge goal, and it might not always be possible. <laughs> um, but, like, I think what I learned while I was doing the Adalgisa was that it taught me or I hope it taught me how to sing in ways that I had not really previously gotten to explore because what struck me about that genre and that opera in particular was that unlike, say, you know, Melisande or even Carmen or Scarlet Ibis, where everything is about subtext and under the surface, I'm not saying there's no subtext in Norma, but if Adal Jesus feels something, she is going to say it out loud, <laughs> yeah. straightforwardly, right out there. Um, and sometimes that's a little scary, but it's also kind of empowering and fun. But, I mean, she's sort of a thankless character in the end because, like, she's just, I mean, she is, like, the catalyst for everything that happens. But, um, God, it's like you end up not liking her. The audience ends up like, ugh, oh, Adal Jesus, you again, you know? <laughs> Oh, I will. I will go to bat for Adolfo. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Do you find that uh, that uh, your work? Oh, that's with... Weston, by the oh, way. This so... is Weston. Hello, hi, Annie. How are you doing? Hi, Weston. <laughs> uh, um, do you find that uh, that sort of forthrightness in sort of the bel canto, maybe more traditional sort of nineteenth-century opera? helps inform the way you express yourself in these stranger, more abstract pieces like, like Akhenaten, like the Barrio, things like that? Or do you think that you have to feel like you have to separate those two worlds when you're practicing them? Well, I think it informs it 100%. I really do. I think when, when I feel as if I'm doing my best work, I feel that each kind of expression is connected to every other type of expression. Hmm. So there's a mind meld that has to happen in the duets with Norma in uh, the opera Norma. Um, who was your Norma for this production? The phenomenal Marjorie Owens oh. soprano was my Norma. And how was it working on those acapella cadenzas with her? Uh, just a delight. She's a phenomenal artist and a wonderful colleague. Um, and she... I felt as if when I was singing with her that she knows the style inside and out. And it was really, you know, you have to like stare closely at someone's mouth. And yeah. <laughs> that's <just> like, <laughs> that's the she thing. Was comfortable it's, with that, so it was fine. If you watch a lot of Norma's, you see, you know, somebody staring at somebody's mouth, but then you see <laughs> productions or like even like little videos of, um, Joan Sutherland and Marilyn Horn singing in a concert, and they just are looking straight out at the audience. They just know each other's breathing and each other's voice and phrasing so well that they don't even have to look, and it's like they're sharing a brain. So I don't know. I just always am so intimidated by 
or I'm impressed by those moments in opera, especially when they're very good. You say you're uh, impressed by Joan Sutherland? No, I'm imp- <laughs> well, I, I am impressed by Joan Sutherland, <laughs> but I'm, I'm impressed by a cappella cadenzas that stay sure. in, in harmony and stay in time and that are phrased together because I feel like it's harder to be more exposed than that, you know? It's funny. People like to say, oh, bel canto, opera singers, you know, it's not, it's not musical, it's not intelligent. And we on this show know that those things are lies. But <laughs> just to drive it home, the musicianship, I think, that it takes and the pure listening skill to execute something like that, it's really high level. Yeah. So I was unaware of what you did at Central City, and is there something you'd like to say about that experience, especially for our audience out there in the Central City? Is that where, where it is? Central City? It's in the middle. <laughs> well, it's near Denver. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very central, right there in the middle. Hello, Central City, Colorado. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a production of Madama Butterfly in which I sang the role of Suzuki for the first time. Hmm. Is that your first Puccini role? Um, no, no. I did um, Tesca in Skiki, also at Central City Opera. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I guess I sing Puccini in Central City. <laughs> you're their Puccini mezzo over there. So. <laughs> if you're in Central City, you must be singing Puccini. You know, that, that, how that old saying goes. So I want to yes. turn it over to Wesson, who uh, was actually at the HD broadcast. All of I us was. have been desperate to see this thing. And you know how it goes when you're doing the gig life, how everything conflicts with everything. So out of this <laughs> out of this panel, Wesson is the only person who has seen the production, and not even the real production, but just the HD production. So I'm going to turn <laughs> over to Wesson to ask you some questions about Akhenaten. Well, yes, for those of uh, for our two listeners who don't know the biggest <laughs> thing in sort of the op world uh, at the moment is all the buzz surrounding Akhenaten at the Met um, first of all I think for for people who didn't see Akhenaten I do want to point out that the most striking thing about it from a sort of a production perspective is the sheer sort of glacial movement of it literally the entire time I think everyone's in sort of slow motion uh doing this uh glassy and repetition over and over and over again how did you navigate that highly stylized sort of presentation of opera uh it, it compared to you know something more naturalistic like your Puccini or even even your Bellini would be somewhat <laughs> more naturalistic than that at that point how, how did you navigate those uh turbulent waters as it were so this was really cool. Um, the director, Phelan McDermott, has mounted this production. I think this is its fourth incarnation, um, mm-hmm. I believe twice at ENO and once in L.A. And so we began the process by doing these very intensive movement workshops with him. And when I say we, I mean all of us, not only the cast, but all of the covers, all of the skills ensemble, which is what we call the jugglers. Um, (laughs) Some of any music staff who wanted to participate could participate. Um, And we basically spent almost the entire first week working in detail on not only how to execute this movement, but how to sort of feel it from the inside out in order to convey the right energy of what we were trying to uh, accomplish in terms of creating an atmosphere for the audience. Hey, Annie, it's George. And so Felon was leading those workshops himself. 
Yes, he was. Um, he he was there for the entire process and really uh, up for all of it. What an absolute pro move that he invited the music staff to take part and really build that sense of like community and ownership of the process and the product. So get this. Um, at the beginning of every rehearsal, we did what was called a check-in. And at the end, too, where everyone in the room sat, we pulled our chairs into a circle and we sat in a circle and Phelan passed a rock around the circle and we all took turns holding the rock. And when we held the rock, we could say anything, basically, about how we were feeling that day, what we were bringing into the room, or we could say nothing at all if we didn't want to. It's it's a, a really sort of remarkable way of doing things, and I think it really paid off. I believe uh, the, uh, Phelan McDermott is a, a, a big sort of uh, Michael Chekhov uh, practitioner in terms of theater technique, which is something that I happen to be familiar with through a lot of my work with him. But uh, Oh, yeah, that's the, his guy. You mean with Michael Chekhov, not with Phelan McDermott? No, yeah, Phelan McDermott does Michael Chekhov technique. Right, but you don't do anything with Phelan McDermott, right? <laughs> I don't. I, I yeah. wish I did. One day, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully I one day it. I'll be up there going in slow motion with you. Um, and you played, uh, 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 oh goodness, uh, one of the daughters <laughs> of Akhenaten, I believe, and I'm going to try to pronounce the name of it, Ankhesen Paaten? Did I get close? I, that's what I've been saying. Um, so if we're wrong, we're T wrong together. Touchdown! Yeah. <laughs> I did it. All these ancient Egyptian names are wild. And uh, you, uh, you had a sort of a extended ensemble piece with the other daughters uh, of Akhenaten, I believe. Um, and uh, I believe you had the extra sort of uh, interesting uh, wrench in the works uh, and that you were all kind of uh, attached to each other by the hair, yes? Yes, we were. We were tied together by six strands of long blue hair. <laughs> did you uh, did you find that, uh, I, I kind of want to know how you navigated, because uh, obviously, you know, with, with that opera, you're moving so slowly, you're moving so precisely, and of course you have to keep in mind the singing as well. Did the hair weigh you down? Did you have to practice just moving with it before you actually started singing? What, how did you approach that? So they had a, a rehearsal hair from day <laughs> one for us, um, <laughs> which was what it was. It was this sort of backpack that we put on, like a hair backpack, and then our wig overlay it. So it looked as if it was continuous, but really we were like harnessed, like a chest harness of hair. Amazing. Um, so there was a rehearsal that that was sort of this blue fleecy fabric, and then of course, as soon as we got on stage, it was a whole other set of challenges. Like, it was hard. It definitely took a lot of getting used to. Uh, Peter Gelb has already said that he's going to bring back Akhenaten within the next couple of seasons. And, of course, uh, uh, it has sold extremely well. Uh, the live and HD production was very well attended. What do you think made audiences interested in this opera, in this production specifically, um, to the point where the Met was like, oh, we have to bring this back? Good question. Um, having never seen it myself, I can't really say with authority, but I do have guesses. Um, I think that the cast is absolutely incredible, especially the leads. I think mm. um, the the three people carrying the most on their shoulders are um, Anthony Rothkostanzo, Janae Bridges, show. also a Ryan Center alum, and um, the narrator, Zach, who... Uh, 
uh, Anthony and Zach have both been in each incarnation of the production, so they know their parts inside and out. They just they can carry the entire thing with them if they need to. Um, so I think it's partially the excitement of of a cast that is young and like I don't want to say up and coming because. These folks have definitely already up and came. <laughs> <laughs> up and came to the Met. <laughs> they up and went there. Um, but but there's there's some degree of excitement when I think especially in terms of getting people our age, and I say us as like people in our thirties and early forties, but people uh, about three four decades younger than Oliver Camacho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ouch. I don't believe that. Um, <laughs> I'm Filipino. I but never get old. So. <laughs> but then I get old all in one day. So. <laughs> Overnight. <laughs> so I wanted, Annie, I want, we, I know we don't have that much time left with you, but I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, we were starting to get going this direction with Akhenaten. There's something about the cast, especially, that feels very inclusive and, you know, it's drawing different audiences and this is all great. And I know that you, that like, Social justice is something that you are concerned about, and I see sometimes your how you interact on, like Facebook, for example, with artists like Jamie Barton and whatnot. I just want to know, like, is there some artist or some composer or some company that you feel is we're about to talk about San Francisco Opera in our next segment? But is there something going on right now that you want to really highlight as something you think is the right direction for our our art form? I mean, San Francisco is absolutely. I think the biggest news, at least in the past month in that regard. Um, and I think that that's a really, really huge appointment in terms of diversifying the upper echelons of the art form, frankly. Like, I think it's really amazing. Um, you know, and the more, I think that the more we talk about it and the more we bring it into the open, the more companies really, really start to take it seriously. Um, I was just visiting my wife, Alexandra Lucian, who was performing Electra at Minnesota Opera. Um, and Preeti Gandhi, who's high up there, is a, a woman of color in an administrative position, which is not common, um, mm -hmm. unfortunately, but is really fantastic. And it's not only she, but the rest of upper management there that is really, really committed to diversifying their casting. Um, which I think is a totally worthy and laudable goal. Absolutely. And I don't know, I, I, this is sort of tangent, ten, a tangent, but, um, you know, I've been in this podcasting slash publicity slash marketing business now for... 60 over, years. For a long time. Yeah, longer than, <laughs> than all of you have been alive put together. And uh, some people accuse me of being a gatekeeper of of, you know, classic opera, of of style, or of, like, Baroque opera, or something, of, like, you know, whatever. They call me the gatekeeper. <laughs> and that's meant to be an insult. It's meant to be, like, oh, let people do things with they, the way they want to do it. Stop stop trying to control. But I'm like, you know what? Why not? Why can't I be the gatekeeper? You white people have been gatekeeping for so long. Let somebody else, let somebody else get gatekeep for a minute, you know? So I'm hoping I'm hoping that Unsun Kim will, will gatekeep over there for... Hey, it's the Golden <laughs> Gates too. That was punny. And if you're, yeah. and if you're, and if you are the gatekeeper, you can open the gate for some people of color and yeah. minorities. And yeah, for token in. whites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I am to you, Oliver? <laughs> 
Annie Rosen, you're going to be back in Chicago to sing your first Ring Cycle. Yes, I am. Yeah, that's coming up soon. So that's, excited. You're going to be... Very excited. Val, Valgunda. Yes, indeed. A much easier name to say than the <laughs> character you played. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that one again. And he's going to be singing at Carnegie Hall this Saturday and then Calgary Opera in January 2020. You can read more about her at AnnieRosenMezzo.com. Annie, thank you so much for making the dreadful mistake of coming back to the show. <laughs> Uh, thank you for making the dreadful mistake of asking me to run my mouth on the air. <laughs> a lot of firsts happened earlier this week at San Francisco Opera, but each first was related to a single new hire. That's next, only on America's talk radio show about opera. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Support for Opera Box Score is provided in part by Hay Market Opera Company. Hey, Market. Presenting Elizabeth DeShong in concert on Friday, February 28th. George literally has his head in his hands. (laughs) Hailed by Opera News as an unstoppable presence and one of the finest new voices to be heard at the Met. Mezzo-soprano Elizabeth DeShong joins the the, the Elizabeth Opera Company, the Hay Market Opera Orchestra. The Hay Market. (laughs) For an intimate evening of Bach cantatas at the new Holtzschneider Performance Center at DePaul University here in Chicago. I yeah. just love Haymarket Opera Company and all the work they do in Baroque opera. The Baroque is so important because basically two things happened in the Baroque. is that everyone was bowing to each other and getting syphilis. <laughs> the big two. Luminary keyboardist Jory Vincor also joins the ensemble, taking a turn as a soloist in a concerto by Bach. Tickets are now available for Elizabeth the Shang in concert on Friday, February 28th with the Haymarket hey Opera Orchestra. Market. There you go. For now more information, go to haymarketopera.org. And that's H-A-Y, hey, not hey, like you guys, hey, H-E-Y. So, hey, market opera. Hey, market! Dot org. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this evening. Us meaning George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Weston Williams. It's Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Annie Rosen just on the show with us just a few minutes ago. The San Francisco Opera has announced that Unsun Kim has been appointed to be its next music director starting on August 1st, 2021. She's the fourth MD of SFO, the first woman to be the MD of a major American opera company, and the first Asian to hold such a post. Oliver, this has to have been the biggest news story of the past week. And and it's such a great way to end this year, which has been filled with stories of men behaving badly you know (laughs) um to hear something like this and it's i mean the fact that it's a news story and that we're so excited and literally everybody in the opera was like oh my god finally it's like it really speaks to how bad things have been you know like for for the people in the top positions all over in in every major house and every major city you know uh, in artistic leadership and we had that story last week about marin alsop talking spilling the tea about uh, Baltimore, you know, it's like, it's not easy to be in those roles as a woman and let alone as a person of color. So yeah, two and we get two in one. Um, I, Weston has a lot prepared, but I just want to just go ahead and read the press release from 
San Francisco Opera's website. Uh, this is what General Director Matthew Schilbach had to say. Ansan Kim brings a unique energy to San Francisco Opera. She connects all of us, audiences, artists, technicians, administrators, in the pursuit of one singular artistic journey, bringing thoughtful leadership, deep compassion, and an incredible respect for everyone in the theater. She leads with great vision on the podium, but also welcomes each and every person into, creative, into the creative process, inviting them to do their very best work. The resulting art is spectacular. This community can look forward to a future of extraordinary music making that connects deeply to the core of what it means to be a human. Well, he's clearly upset. <laughs> <laughs> it's a privilege to welcome Unsung to be our next music director. Following, um, I guess she she just did the Young Artist Showcase there, and she conducted, I think, Rizalka there, yes, I think was her Rizalka. debut. And she returns uh, next season to conduct their Fidelity before finally stepping into her appointment, which begins the 2021 season. Exactly, yeah. no. right. Th this is one of the interesting patterns that I've seen with Un Sun Kim's career so far, is that companies have hired her immediately after her debuts with them. So this happened at hmm. Houston when she did the debut of, uh, God, I think it was Boem. This was in the season when the Wortham Center in Houston was... Yeah, underwater, yeah. Underwater, right. <laughs> uh, so she did one show there, and then she's brought on as, as music director. And now one show at SFO, and she's brought on as music director. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what does this pattern speak to? Well, I mean, it obviously speaks to her talent and, and her, maybe the energy she brings to the into the room and everybody gets excited about her but also that maybe these companies really are thinking about this like who can we hand the keys over to and they're just looking for the right person the right talent the right skill you know and she has it so um good for them for keeping their eye out for her there are more we need to put them in the pipeline but there are more people out there who i mean we work with kathy o'shaughnessy all the time like right. she's she's great she needs to get a break alex enyart when she Whenever she gets hired to do as one, she gets another job doing the exact same thing because people say, "Oh, you're doing a great job with this opera. Here, come over and do it with us." You know, so it's almost a little disappointing that you ha that you know uh, women and people of color ha have to like have like that you know element uh, almost element of surprise. You know what I mean? Where they're where it's like. Oh wow, you are really good. I mean, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's it's not it's, just it's because you're a woman. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you know, it, it, unfortunately, the 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 default person, not just in opera, but it, um, but in you know the U.S. is like, oh, it's a white man. You know what I mean? So whenever you have that, it's an, uh, it's an old white man, an old yeah. white man specifically. Uh, so it's really encouraging to see these jumps forward. And I think we've seen a lot of them recently. Uh, I know, I, I think I made the comment a couple weeks ago, last time I was on the show, uh, before I went into mourning because of the Iron Bowl, uh, <laughs> uh, was that uh, every, I'd seen a few operas in the past week, and every single one had been conducted by a woman. Uh, Karen Kamensek was doing uh, the Mets for Akhenaten, uh, Nicole uh, Paimon, uh, I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong, I apologize, <laughs> Not at, all. Uh, at the Lyric right. for Dead Man Walking, and then of course we got hometown favorite Lydia Yankovskaya with Everest and Aleko. And and now this, I, I, so many good stories with women in sort of these leadership positions. And I, I will say, as much as we love uh, hometown favorite Lydia Yankovskaya, friend of the show, um, th this San Francisco is sort of a different level in terms of size oh, yeah. and influence. I think her appoint uh, 
Unsun Kim's appointment is a really big deal. It's got uh, 3,146 uh, seats on their main stage, which puts it really only a few hundred behind the Lyric, and the Lyric is is big. And that's, you know, in turn, not, not that much seats, smaller sure. than the Met. And it's also a company that does a lot of local outreach, particularly in terms of free simulcasts in and around San Francisco. Uh, I, I do... I do tend to think of, you know, San Francisco kind of last in sort of the in terms of like the big sort of major operas, you know, just You think of it as behind Houston? Uh why I do you think that? I, I feel like Houston tends to have, I think, a little bit more of a they have more of a reputation in mind uh, for like new works, more interesting, uh, you know, and they have for a while. You know, Houston Grand Opera is all about championing new American works. And I feel like San Francisco is one of those uh, big opera companies that still is sort of floating around an identity just in sort of the public consciousness. I don't think that's necessarily fair to say because I think there are plenty of people who work very hard to have that sort of thing, but I feel like their influence well, now outside we, now San Now we've Francisco. definitely shut down our opportunity to talk to <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 San Francisco, that's, prove me wrong. No. Buy me tickets to all no, of your shows. No, ca call into the show. We invited them on. We want to have the discussion with, with them if, if they would take umbrage of that. I mean, here's the here's the thing about this hire, first and foremost. That we can all agree that San Francisco has got a much uh, larger Asian population than a place like Chicago. Oh, for sure. Say, right? I mean, this is why... Um, one of my colleagues speaks about L.A. as like the truly great American city because it has so much racial diversity, which includes a huge Asian population from mm -hmm. China, Korea, Japan as well. And San Francisco absolutely has that. And I think in this higher San Francisco opera, you know, saw a lot of the people in their city, and they probably saw a lot of people that they would love to be coming to the opera house. Absolutely, and I think that uh, Unsung Kim is going to be perfect for that. But I also think that this is a really good opportunity for them to really be at the forefront of what we might consider a new, more enlightened opera. Um, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm getting down on San Fran too hard, uh, because it's I, I'm really good not. news to end the this year is, with good really, news. <laughs> no, this is very good news. But I think this is a great opportunity, not just for Unsung Kim, but for San Francisco to say, "Hey, we looked at our audiences and our potential audiences, and the actual, you know, uh, uh, ethnic and uh, gender." Uh, 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 makeup of America and we're like, hey, there are people out there who have a great vision who are not an old white man. And I think this is a really encouraging way to not just bring bring that forward in San Francisco, but to bring it forward in other companies here's, as well. Here's my question about the vision. It's Opera Box Score and WNUR and HD1 here in Evanston, Chicago. Uh, Two-minute drill coming up in about six to ten minutes. Here's my question about Vision, is when doing the research on, on Sun Kim, she seems to be something in terms of the repertoire as a traditionalist, right? But we're, we're wanting a place like San Francisco Opera to push the art form forward, perhaps, well, here's, with 20th here's, and 21st century repertoire. So is that going to happen under her music leadership? Well, here's the thing. I don't think, as much as I love new work, and uh, new pieces. 
I think at a certain point, it's all about the old white men <laughs> giving up their power. You know, there is, uh, there, I've talked about before how there's a tendency with opera companies to make an effort to appear more diverse to audiences by casting persons of color on stage, but artistic and administrative leadership uh, it, that are right outside the public view tend to remain old, white, and male. So, Unsun Kim becoming the music director, she now has influence to bring forward those aspects from a, an Asian American perspective, from a woman's perspective, that frankly uh, a man does not. And that is the real value in this kind of hiring. So if, if that, if her, you know, uh, if, her, if her perspective is a little bit more traditional, so be it. It's, it's her perspective. It's what needs to be brought forward because that's what America is and that's, that's where opera needs to go. I agree with you so much. I just want to say that like, we don't actually know what her exactly. vision is yet because she has not had this type of appointment. Exactly. And it will take a couple seasons for her to finally you know, flesh out the repertoire that she wants to do. But in the meantime, maybe she is making casting decisions. Maybe she's making decisions on who gets in the orchestra. All those things are really helpful just to get more people, like I said, in the pipeline. So let's give her some time to like, you know, um, absolutely her oats over there, you know. And I think the more uh, the more we can give. Uh, uh, I think I meant to say planter seeds. Sowing your oats is something else, right? Both are pretty bad. I would say that I, I think that the, the, the value of diversity is not diversity for diversity's sake. It's so that the artistic uh, financial decisions are controlled by people who accurately reflect um, what the world is actually like, like and not what old white men think it should be. And like. also, what about those musicians uh, who have stayed away from certain opera companies because they knew, oh, that creepy conductor is there. I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And when you have a new person, especially a woman of color, it's like, I want to go sing there. And then you end up getting different artists, more interesting artists, you know, different at the very least, you know, because of the person who's at the top. And I think this is also going to be... Uh, a, a really exciting thing because uh, this this does not feel as out of nowhere as it would have even I don't know four years ago. You know what I mean? This feels like uh, a natural progression that's begun over the past few years, where opera companies are genuinely looking and seeing we need to change things, we need to make things better. I mean. Uh, 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 the, of course, uh, Lydia Yankovskaya, you know, became the first uh, woman composer of sort of like the, 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 the middle, uh, not composer, sorry, uh, uh, musical director of a sort of a mid-range uh, uh, company. And now we have Unsung Kim. And if you read the sort of the New York Times uh, profile where they sort of interview Unsung Kim, um, she makes the point that uh, she's looking forward to the time when when the first woman blank is no longer the headline exactly. because it becomes so normal. And I think I feel like with all the sort of the steps made in the mm -hmm. past few years, even though this is a big milestone and a big step forward and one that should have happened a long time ago, these kinds of big steps are feeling more and more regular, more and more just, oh yeah, this is just how it should be. And I think that's a really, really positive thing looking forward to the future of, the, of opera, uh, not just in America, but for the world. We invite 
our listeners, if you have worked with Unsum in your various opera companies, uh, to you know comment on our um, social media or call into the show next week and tell us about your experience with her. Uh, because we we want to really amplify this message for San Francisco Opera, even though they're not on our show at the very moment. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I've scared them off. <laughs> exactly. And of course, uh, for all of our two-minute drill stories, which are coming up after the break, you can also call in and comment on those. The number 847-866-9687. All right. Hello, Porgy. Bye-bye, Vittorio. That's all up next. Only on Opera Box Score, it's on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Listed as a must-listen podcast for opera by Playbill, week after week, Opera Box Score is expanding its reach, talking to opera's most important players aggregating all the news of the week and amplifying the best work in a crowded field. If you're new to the show, look back in our archives to hear interviews with the likes of a member, most excellent order of the British Empire, Yeston Davies. Amazing stuff. Or a Baroque demigod, Jakob Josef Orlinski. A heartthrob. And a rising star, Arya Nussbaum-Cohen. Wait a second. These are all countertenors? Yes. <laughs> yes, I wrote this ad copy. <laughs> Impress the date you take to the opera by listening to our OBS Hall of Fame segments where we take a deep dive into the works and artists that you need to know. And if you don't have time to keep up with all the news from Opera Land, jump right to the two-minute drill. Our team's hot takes on the week's opera headlines, including who's getting fired and hired in the fast-paced world. That would of... be Vittorio Gagolo and Unsung Kim. Yes, hired and fired and hired, respectively. Access the complete archives by adding Opera Box Score to your podcast favorites or just stream from Opera Box Score's page on SoundCloud. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. Italian mezzo-soprano Cecilia Bartoli is preparing to take on a new role director of the Opera de Monte Carlo beginning in 2023. She'll also be the first woman to lead that company. Italian tenor Vittorio Gregolo was dismissed Thursday by both the Royal Opera House in London and the Met in New York City. His firing comes after an investigation by Covent Garden, which determined that he had demonstrated, quote, inappropriate and aggressive behavior during a Royal Opera tour of Japan last September. German bass René Pop has revealed that he will not return to the Bayreuth Festival. He told the French magazine Platea in a recent interview that he did not identify with the festival or its mission and therefore does not feel comfortable with the environment. The Met sold-out production of the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess has been so successful this season the company's doing something without precedent in its modern history, adding several performances to the run. Teatro Alla Scala's opening night in Milan has broken TV records. The Tosca broadcast was viewed by 2.8 million on the RAI Uno channel. San Diego Opera will celebrate the heritage of two of its Mexican-American stars with a recital called One Amazing Night. That's Eileen Perez and Joshua Guerrero, who are going to be performing traditional opera arias and duets, in addition to Spanish-language boleros and pop songs. The Globe and Mail hails Toronto-based soprano Teya Casajara's one-woman show The Queen in Me is a damning inside scoop on the opera industry. Operas full of sexism, racism, homophobia, and xenophobia goes the reproach. Kanye West, when will this guy go away? He's announced a new opera called Mary. It's going to premiere... 
Well, it was supposed to be last night, actually, in Miami. Pioneering radio show host, opera podcaster, and all-round bro, Tobias Wright, is leaving the hit show Opera Box Score with his last episode scheduled for Monday, December 16th. On the disabled list, the final performance of Don Giovanni at Lyric Opera of Chicago at that base Matthew Rose tore a muscle. But according to a post from Lyric's social media handle, complete with a picture of Leporello using a wheelchair, the British bass, quote, still managed to deliver a stunning Act Two performance. On this day, it's the birthdays of Tobias Wright, British soprano Susan Bullock, Scottish countertenor Christopher Robson, and German soprano Elizabeth Schwarzkopf was also born on this day in 1915, along with Italian castrato Baldassare Ferri in 1610. It was the first performance of Richard Strauss's Zalame in Dresden in 1905, Glinka's Ruslan and Ludmilla in 1842, as well as his Life of the Tsar in 1836, and the premiere of Handel's Dante in London in 1721. That's your two-minute drill. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, Ashley Hardgrave, and Oliver the Man Camacho. One day I'm going to direct Zalame and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know when, but it's going to happen. George Cedarquist here along with Oliver Camacho and Weston Williams on Opera Box Score. Annie Rosen on earlier in the show. We were talking about conductor Unsun Kim as well after Annie got off the line and now the two-minute drill. Lots going on this past week. I think you might have mentioned one that our listeners were a little, uh, probably perched their ears up at. What was that all about, George? Which, about I, about I, a certain I, podcaster, the great podcasting business. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to save that for the end. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. Um, Tobias Wright, a, a near and dear friend, a, a co-founder of the show with me, uh, he is moving on and up and out, and it's true. And literally. Next, Mike's Money is going to be his last show. We're going to find a way to roast that guy's butt. Oh, yeah. Well, he fell fell in love, and now he's chasing. He's he's, he's, jaded all He's going to move mountains to be with his woman. (laughs) Well, he's going to Denver. There's a lot of mountains there, Yeah, exactly. So I guess somebody else is going to have to shave his back. I think we're going to honor him and and, and tease him. George, I'm trying to recover from the Iron Bowl, and then you hit me with this news. (laughs) I know. I can't take it. That's what you've been waiting for. You're trying to get rid of all of us. Here's a (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. We move up through assassination yeah. in here, so. Uh, that would be the most, like, dull hour means, of my Monday night. It that means that my me. name comes next after George Cedarquist. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, Oliver, you're, you're always second fiddle to me. No, it's, it's, it has to. Well, I know, but I'm saying it's George Cedarquist, <laughs> Giovanna Jacques, Tobias Wright. Oops, Giovanna Jacques is gone. Oops, Tobias is gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a question for you, Oliver. Yeah. Uh, 
at this rate of turning out operas, do you think Kanye West is the new Rossini? <laughs> so we need KF Jock in here to come in and tell us if he's watching uh, or if he watched yesterday. Mary, I wonder what that one's about. You know, it's probably about Mary. Uh, but I wonder if they listened <laughs> if they listened to our podcast and maybe took some advice and had a rehearsal. <laughs> do you think Kanye listens to our, our podcast? Of I course he, he does. does. <laughs> that, that seriously, that, that is that is my hope. I, I I hope that Kanye actually rehearsed the thing. I mean, he didn't. Of course, although I saw some weird photos on Insta that he was painted entirely silver. Hmm. He was. He looked didn't like one of those guys in Chicago that's like a robot yeah. and then is like asking <laughs> for change. But didn't the guy from Wizard of Oz get cancer from that? That was because oh, the they were using man. 1930s chemicals. <laughs> yeah, that had like mercury in it. I don't yeah. think Kanye's going to get um, okay. cancer, probably. Well, speaking of yeah. uh, of uh, possible operatic disasters, uh, well, this one's a definite disaster. Vittorio... Grigolo, fired simultaneously by ROH and the Mets. Well, I mean, it's it stems from the story from we 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 covered back in September, where he was groping a chorister during a curtain call. So at least he was doing it in public, I guess. (laughs) It wasn't like a what's his name, a Louis C.K. type of deal where he was like peeing or whatever in a plant or something like that. <laughs> Not peeing, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. He was doing something in a plant. So. It, yeah, it, this is one of those things where, you know, uh, I am I am glad to sort of see, you know, uh, justice be, be done because I feel like both the Met and ROH have had a spotty history, even recently, with accusations like this. And uh, to their credit, they, uh, they both... Uh, suspended him immediately, investigated, and then came to the same decision. I think even maybe on the same day. I could be wrong on that. Uh, no, it was. Him. It was. It was on the same day. I, here, I don't get this. Angela Giorgu came to Grigolo's rescue and was all over social media, being like, "We still love you. You did nothing wrong. You're just passionate about." Like, no, look, stop defending people who are sexually harassing their colleagues. Mm-hmm. End of story. Thank you so much for playing. Where did you get the Sanjay Giorgio bit from this Slip is, Disc? This is from, well, I, I will admit that it was on Slip Disc. Hmm. However, that was merely the source for her actual um, tweet okay. there was post. The, I mean, it linked to her tweet, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, huh. so so she needs to accept that. I mean, she yeah. needs to take the consequences. This, this is one of those consequences. One of those things, like 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 I was saying, you know, there's a certain point where, even if your experience as someone has not been uh, the 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 sexually harassing aspect, you still have to. We've reached a point in time where we now have to say sorry. It's time to ro- put. Uh, put everything away and you've, you've lost your chance and I think this will help make a more positive and better environment to create art in the future and you know I imagine uh, Grigolo is not going to be the last but I hope that I mean like I said a few weeks ago with Placido Domingo uh, w- w- there, n- there's no one who is safe now uh, as, as n- there's no one who can really get away with it and I hope that that sense will encourage proper behavior well, that's exactly as it should be, right? Like, mm-hmm. be, stop doing this, people, and stop trying to get away with it because you will be found. So he did sort of apologize. It was sort of a half, half-ass apologize. He said uh, on social media, "I have a lot of time. I've had a lot of time to reflect on what happened in Tokyo on the 18th of September." I'm aware that even though it was never my intention to offend anyone, the situation deteriorated unexpectedly due to a brawl between colleagues. 
Uh, he goes on to say, I recognize that my personality can be very exuberant at times, and I'm willing to make sure that what happened will not happen again in the future. I'm relieved to learn that the accusations made against me by several journalists and tabloids in the past weeks have been contradicted by the results of the investigation. Yeah, well... So, we don't have the investigation, and, and he's maybe trying to purposely misconstrue what was in that it investigation. It sounds pretty yeah. misconstrued to yeah. me. But, I mean... Especially still, since he was flat out denying it at the very If beginning. I needed to give him a loaded compliment, I would say at least he's not playing some sort of, like... I'm a passionate Italian, right? <laughs> so this is just how we do. So we just grab it, people. It is, though. Which is like Domingo's like complete you know, joke of a defense about, like, well, the Spanish are very gallant. It's like, no, <laughs> sexual assault is not gallant. It's wrong. Let's talk about something happier. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rene Pop <laughs> is not going back to the Bayreuth Festival. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's happier. I think that's okay. kind of funny to me. Sorry. Uh, uh, I think what's his beef with Bayreuth? Uh, there was Nazis? No, it actually wasn't. It was it was the environment of his last performance there, uh, and and of course, Bayreuth I think is kind of legendary for its backstage drama, a hashtag drama as opposed to the you know music drama as it were. It, it's uh, apparently he doesn't feel like it's a very uh, friendly environment, very demanding, and not very. Uh, you know, which I think is really interesting too, because I, I think Rene Papa has had had a sort of a. He, I think he's undergoing a shift in his career where I think he's starting to move a little bit away from Wagner and some of those heavier roles a little bit, and I think that's part of it. But uh, I, I think the felt the 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 interview in which he's interviewed about it, it's, it's not a, it's not a huge part of the interview. Yeah. Uh, what he talks about, but it's it's it is a big enough disc to be interesting coming from someone who is thought of as a Wagnerian like Rene Papa. Yeah, first of all, I, I said it was from a French magazine. It's it's in Spanish, so yeah. that was my mistake. Well, he uh, says <laughs> in but, the in the Google Translate, he says, "Oh well, then it must be right." Yeah, <laughs> there is no longer that family atmosphere that I lived that I lived there in the early 1990s. That's so strange because yeah. like Bayreuth is nothing but family because like they're all related. <laughs> the artistic directorship is all completely related to each other. Can I just say this? My, my story about Rene Pop is apparently he smokes a cigar before he goes on stage to get that like super low subwoofer voice that he has. Yeah. Also, <laughs> looking at the photos of the dude just from the Platea magazine, like don't you just want to hang out with him and like ride a motorcycle? He's got the cool glasses. He, He's this got guy the looks so fresh. <laughs> Dude, look at that goatee. <laughs> oh my god, he's just the pocket I, square. I do feel like there's a little bit unsaid in this interview, and I, I would love if someone were to because it's in, in Spanish. Is that uh, it? No. Well, I mean, there's part. There's that. There's the yeah. fact they don't speak any Spanish. I was trying to suffer through the translation, uh, but I. It does feel like he is like not mentioning something specific that went down backstage, and you know, you know me. Show me on this doll <laughs> where <laughs> Katarina Wagner touched you. I am <laughs> all about that Bayreuth uh, drama. You know, just uh, there's there's something about Wagner's family, his his progeny yeah. fighting with each other that just yeah, scratches we're, an itch. We're, we're kind of getting into conjecture here a little <laughs> bit. It's you know so okay. So the good in, news until the, until the Spanish comes out. Give me some Does real anyone good else speak news, Spanish? Oliver. I speak Spanish-ish. Yeah. Well, buenos yeah. dias. <laughs> Give me um, some real that's good. From so, some some goodish news is that Porgy and Bess is extended. It feels yeah. like it's a Broadway run. I don't know how all those people managed to clear space in their calendar to stay. Well, this was this was the the Faust production, which was turned into a concert because they didn't think they had time to tech the show. This this story was like months ago, mm -hmm. Oliver. But they were supposed to do Damnation of Faust. 
uh, couldn't take it in time, changed it to a concert, canceled three shows. So they had three empty slots in the schedule. No, oh. but, this, but the artist was what I'm talking about. The artists that are, because that's a huge cast. So I, I, I understand. That. I wonder if some covers are going on, which uh, might be good, you know? That might be fine. But, but let's, let's be realistic, right? The Met yeah. is like, so we're doing something we've never done before and extending the show. Are you free? Mm. You're free. Yeah. You're free. You'll be there if you're an artist. Yeah, but you can't cancel other contracts. If like if you know, if it conflicts with contracts that you're like let's say you're making your debut uh, at La Scala, uh, you know. Uh, okay, yeah. you might be surprised, okay. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, or maybe as you say, maybe some covers are going on, which yeah. is awesome. That's yeah. what covers are for. Speaking of La Scala, their broadcast, uh, two point eight million people watched it. Two point eight million people watched Tosca on opening night, which you know is is. I, I think speaks a lot to sort of the different atmosphere in Europe compared to uh, uh, the U.S. You know, it, it, I've got like, a, a, as far as opera is concerned, I, I, I read that article. I just got like these intense jealousy tingles, you know, like the same that happened when I was uh, when I was in Vienna and uh, trying to see Wozzeck and the line for standby for standby was out the door and around the block. I'm like, this would never happen. Okay, here. So let's let's put this this two point eight million number into sports perspective a yeah, little bit. Hit me. The twenty nineteen Stanley Cup playoffs had a total of one point one million viewers. Really? Every wow. game of the uh, that seems low to me. Exactly. Where'd you get that stat yeah. from? Yeah, it's from Flip M- Disc, NBC Sports. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this performance of Tosca had almost three times as many viewers as the Stanley Cup playoffs. Two point eight million is an astounding. It's like number. the city of Chicago all watching. Could you Tosca. imagine? And it's Tosca too, which is like you know, I mean, yeah. it's fine. Uh, it's but not Aknaten. It's not Aknaten. <laughs> imagine if they'd done Aknaten for opening <laughs> yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's yeah. it's it really sort of speaks to me as like sort of um, I, I think there are certain advantages of opera being a little bit you know uh, underground in the U.S. sometimes so to speak where it's like not everyone knows about it you still have to like you know be introduced to it and kind of have to be kind of in the know sometimes but sometimes there's some days when I wake up and I'm just like man I wish it was I wish I could tune in and talk to all my friends not just my weird opera friends. About the broadcast of Tosca the previous night. Hey, did you catch, yeah. catch a performance? Or do last a viewing night? party. Yeah. I mean, like, that'd be great. What, what it would be so much fun for me is if when the Richard Tucker Awards came on, we all like had a little get together and like watched them together and spilled the tea on everybody's outfits. You and know how, like, you know, how like, uh-huh. the high note, you know, NBC does like the live musicals. What if they did yeah. an opera? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be neat? No one would watch it. No, I would watch it. I feel like <laughs> if, you know, if Kanye West wants to produce one of his. <laughs> sure. Kanye, we're asking <laughs> See, you. Please. Oliver, I knew you would get into the no, no, Kanye I'm West not thing. into the I Kanye thing. I'm really, just saying, really... like, it would take somebody like him to advocate for it. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to save you and we'll wrap the show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Great crew tonight. Great show tonight. Annie Rosen, Unsung Kim, and Kanye. Us. <laughs> Good call, bad call. I'm trying to think if I have anything to well, while you're thinking, talk about. I know oh. I got something real quick. Uh, thanks to Mark, who's actually local guy from Evanston, for donating to the show. Of course, you too can donate to Opera Box Score. It's on the website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. 
So we are at the end of the you know first half of the opera season. It's now Messiah time, Messiah and Nutcracker time. So uh, go hear Messiah. I, I heard that the one in Boston uh, with Nick Pond, Reg, Reggie Mobley, and uh, Deshaun Burton was really good. Actually, I caught the tail end of it um, on the radio. But uh, yeah, now is the time for you to support your your local, you know, church or orchestra that's putting on the Messiah. Come on. You can Come do on. it. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. Weston Williams. I have uh, I, I have a good call and a bad call, and they're kind of the same thing. My bad call is that, of course, Toby is leaving uh, leaving us. However, my good call is next week we're going to have a show that's all about Toby. For all, for all you Toby heads out there, <laughs> Toby tune stands, in yeah. for our big grand finale. Yeah. Uh, tweet yes. at us about how sad you are that Toby tune is leaving. In, tune in and call in. I think we're going to just leave the phone line on and just people can come on and And just and weep into share. the phone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. I forgot to add that the clip of Richard Strauss's Zalame was Carl Boom conducting the Wienerstadt's opera. Orchestra. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Moskal and Somal Songvi. Our announcer is Norm Waddell at VoxerShorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share, comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review if you subscribe and listen to our show through Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Kamat. For Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with only 15 more shopping days till Christmas. We're back on Monday, December 16, 9 p.m. Central, when we say farewell to OBS co-host Tobias Wright. This is a show you truly do not want to miss. Plus, of course, more opera news, more hot takes, more holiday sweaters. Never mind. We're a radio show, but still, join us. This is WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.